ACAST. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of MTP, we recap week 10 in the NFL, including Odell Beckham Jr. signing with the LA Rams, teams forgetting how many overtimes there are, and sorry NFL, but it looks like the Patriots are back. This is Missing the Point. Episode 96, but it's all relative. Welcome into Missing the Point. I'm Joe Malkin. He's Mike Marcangelo. As always, Craig is on with us as well. I think Craig has only ever missed two episodes of this entire show. Um, and and even when he does, he still does all the behind the scenes work and manages our social media and manages our story. You know what, Craig? You don't get paid enough. You deserve a day off. Get out of oh, here. Thanks, buddy. All right. Then actually, you know, he gets paid too much. Some, some would say he gets paid too much. We don't know <laughs> who pays him, but he gets paid too much. <laughs> Correct. So we're here to talk to you about week 10 of the NFL season and uh, maybe some non-NFL topics if we can get there within the allotted time that we allot for ourselves and that the podcast community tells us uh, we should allot because after a certain point we should just stop talking so uh, Mike let's get into the Patriots game uh, because you know we are based in New England and uh, when you and I were talking earlier today uh, before we recorded you you had brought up some you said some things that kind of brought back some uh, talking points for me from other interviews and other episodes and other points that you had made. And I know that you expected us to go first to Mac, but I want to go on the other side of the ball yep. and go to Matthew Judon. Yeah. The reason why I want to go to Matthew Judon is because of your comments with Carrie Green about Matthew Judon being compared to Adelius Thomas. And so far he has panned out much better. However, Adelius Thomas also had a good first year with the Patriots. A big difference that I think we've seen with Judon is that Judon has stepped in and become a leader in that locker room within just a few weeks of the regular season and probably before that too. So, I mean, we're looking at a, right now they're a top five overall, but what are your, what do you think about Matthew Judon now that we've seen him for 10 weeks? Yeah. I mean, I'm so happy that the ghost of Adelius Thomas is not coming back to haunt me. I, I thought it was going to. And I think Judon early on, like when we started out two and four, you know, we could have been that record can be argued. We could have been more wins, whatever. Sure. The reason that we had those wins was strictly because of him on the defensive side of the ball. Right. Uh, I think 
he's been such a disrupting force. And he, like you said, he's been a, a field general. And it, I think whatever we, whatever we are paying him, it's a bargain. Every play that he's on there for, uh, you know, you notice him. You, you can't help but notice him. And I think it's been, you know, such a long time. And actually, it feels like a long time, but it probably really hasn't since we had such, such an assertive pass rusher um, uh, on the Patriots. I also think, you know, this makes me question the entire uh, Adelius Thomas take. I think, you know, what, what Karen had said on that interview, and, you know, again, show notes, is he often just went off book, right? Like he did not run the scripted plays that the 2007 Bill Belichick defense had, had drawn out for him. And when you had that many Hall of Famers on it, I get it why you have to script it out. But I think Bill on this defense and uh, this year and in, in this time has just said, listen, we need you to be you. So your job is to kill the quarterback. Do it. That's it. And I, I think he's done an amazing job. I love that he's here. I hope that he is is productive yeah, the, the rest of the season as, as he has been so far. But, you know, say what you want about Bill Belichick and drafting, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I, I have some things I want to air out. But in terms of free agents, he knows how to get great defensive help, uh, help uh, from the free agent market on the trade market. Yeah, and, and it's interesting you mention that because I think for a long time, Bill Belichick as a defensive coordinator, which as defensive coordinator, he was a part of two Super Bowl victories with the New York Giants in the 80s. And now we see him basically acting as that. But you're right, right? Like they've they always brought in guys to do a job. And really not since Rodney Harrison has he kind of had a guy and said, we just need you to be you, like you just said. But I also think what they did with Harrison that they're now doing with Judon is they're, they're, he's building that defense around them and any deficiencies and holes that they would leave open from the position that they're coming from have been filled, have been backfilled in other positions. I, I think, uh, and I, I want to get to the free agent signings in the draft too, so we'll get there next. But somebody who, and speaking of the draft, somebody who's really stood out to me on that defense as well is Christian Barrymore. Who, who has just, he's just, he, he's phenomenal. I mean, and we're talking about, and, and I always want to bring it back down to earth because we're talking about free agent signings and a team that is only 10 weeks into this new identity that they have. Now, granted, it's still the old identity, right? It's still the old guard, the Bill Belichick style team, but they're, they have this new identity and it shows. And what really showed to me and, and, something that I noticed on Sunday that I haven't noticed much this year. And I watched this Patriots team come out of the tunnel on Sunday and there was something different about them. And I think what it was is that they finally started to click. Everything's working. They know that they've gone out and, and drafted well, which again, we'll get to, they know that they've gone out and brought in a lot of, Free agents who are panning out, which we'll get to. And I think everything has started to mesh and they've loosened up a little bit. And what I mean by that is the first five home games of the season, when Mac Jones would run out of the tunnel at Gillette Stadium, he'd get to the 50 yard line, he'd stop, he'd get his helmet from whoever, whatever equipment guy was there, put it on and start throwing a football. This week, 
they introduced the, the starting defense and all 46 active players got into a huddle and started jumping around and looked looked like they were having a good time something you see at a high school or college level and and they looked like they looked like a lot of the other NFL teams that we watch every Sunday and they were doing something different and it was just a lot of fun to watch and then they went out and did what they did now great Cleveland marched down the field on the first drive and then Miles Garrett came in and sacked Mac Jones on the first offensive drive and I can only look at it and see how the game panned out and say it's drawn up that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You literally just took the words out of my mouth, dude. I was going to say, like, you know, you, Belichick never loves to give up points, but that first uh, th- that first sack uh, on, Mag- uh, on Mac Jones, that was a sacrificial sack. What I mean by that is he wanted to see what he needed to do and, and what Cleveland was going to be doing all game because I think, you know, we, we all give him, uh, we all give Belichick a ton of crap all the time, but he makes really awesome adjustments mid-game, right? Always. On the fly, and, absolutely. On the fly, for, first quarter, it doesn't matter. So he was like, oh, they're, they're just going to send Miles Garrett out there. Cool. What we're going to do is we're going to run screens at Miles at, at Garrett. And, and, then, and then what? Because we know how to protect against Javion Clowney. We did it when he was in Houston with J.J. Right. Watt on the other side with Will Fork in the middle. This isn't that. So we understand how to do that. And I think, you know, to your point about this feeling like a, a, a you know, a different Patriots team or they feel different than they have in weeks past. I, I think it's two things. The first thing is if you look at the, you know, two and four record, Mac Jones had to play out of his mind to, to get them to win, right? And even in the games that they lost early in the season, he played well and it still wasn't enough for them to win. I think that was probably uh, hanging over his head. Like, wh- how, what else do I need to do? The defense probably felt that a little bit. But I, I think the most important the most important piece, I said it a couple of weeks ago, you know, and, and we talk about it, you know, now after this 45 to 7 win, Belichick, not Steven, Bill is coaching the defense. This is a Bill Belichick defense. It's a bend, not break, opportune defense that we were not seeing. And, I, you know, Gerard Mayo might be a great head coach someday. I think he probably will be. <laughs> Steven Belichick is just a sperm coach. It's the only reason he's there is because his daddy's the head coach. That's it. But you can see the difference now. You know, Mac is going out of his mind uh, for the entire game, right? They're having great drives. Belichick's not talking to him. He's the entire game. He's focusing on the defense. And that tells me that he still has what it takes to game plan and to coach up his defense based on what he has. And, I, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that they're going to win the Super Bowl or anything. But if he's doing that and they are responding and offensively, they're not making mistakes. They're not shooting themselves in the foot. They're going to be a tough team to beat. And going back to the Miles Garrett sack, they, after that sack, they neutralized him the rest of the game. That was the only time he heard his name. And I, I yeah. wanted to make sure of that before I said that, but it's, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers right now. He had one tackle, a sack. That was it. That was it. And you know, I, I, you're absolutely right about the defense. It is a Bill Belichick coach defense, and you can see it in the style of play. You've seen J.C. Jackson elevate his play. Uh, Jalen Mills is is playing his role. Christian has been outstanding. Uh, Matthew Judon, even Juwan Bentley has been incredible. Yeah, I mean, eight and nine fly around that field like there's uh, like they're. I mean, I, bats out of hell. 
they're, they're just fun to watch. Uh, the secondary has been good. I, Kyle Duggar has been phenomenal. Devin McCourty has been great. Uh, for what he's for his age and what he's been asked to do, he's been great. Uh, he's I think he's been average overall, but to quarterback that defense the way he does, or at least the secondary, he's been very good. And then on the offensive side, I think a big thing is that they were just trying to get the kid comfortable and see what they had. And you know, some sometimes it's good not to take the Corvette out and go pedal to the metal right away. You you have to. You know, you got to grease the skids a little bit and you got to give it time. Uh, Herman Boone once said, it's like Novocaine. Eventually it works. And that's kind of paraphrasing the, the paraphrasing of the quote, but it's, they've, they've been fun to watch. And when you have Mac Jones come out and play the way he did on Sunday and finally look like he's having fun, they let him loose a little bit and he's saying all the right things and he's doing all the right things. And the team is finally clicking. So with that said, let's talk about the draft. Cause I think we both have a little bit to say about this draft, but of course, Mac Jones drafted in the first round, Christian Barrymore drafted in the second round, uh, Ramondre Stevenson drafted in the fourth round. I mean, Mike, what are, what are your thoughts on this year's draft? You know, overall, I think that this is one of Belichick's best drafts. I think. You know, obviously Mac Jones, it it, it is it astonishes me, but not really because we talked about it before like in, in our post draft show. I know for a moral certainty that Belichick was calling, like he was that source saying that the you know the Rams are gonna, uh, or that the Forty Nineers are going to take Mac Jones number three overall. That was him. He like he was just throwing out all these different feelers just to see like who in the league is stupid, right? And everyone that did not take Mac Jones after Trevor Lawrence was selected. And needed a quarterback is an idiot. That's what he's proven. He's not. Uh, he, just, he doesn't have a you know a cannon of an arm. But again, I'm not comparing the two. But it's our most relevant comparison. Look back at 01, 02, 03. Brady wasn't throwing as hard as far as he is now. So I think that they can grow into it. I and I also if if you just really look at what the things that we've always talked about for Belichick in drafting is stop trading down, trade up, right. Or draft a quarterback. You know what? It turns out I might have been wrong, and we all might have been wrong, about wanting him to select a quarterback to learn under Brady. Because maybe that was never going to be a realistic possibility. Because you never know how long Brady was going to play for. Maybe you sure. should have stacked the team around Brady and extend his time here. Whatever. But in this draft, uh, Christian Barmore, right? I mean, he traded, what, his second round and two fourth rounds just to move up eight spots to get him? Mm-hmm. That is the most unbelichekian thing to to do because he love. I mean, he loves those fourth round picks, man. He moved them to make sure that he could get his guy because there was no reason that that, that Barmore fell. I think he might he may have had some off field issues in college that were never really described, uh, and, I, and I think he underperformed on the was it the aptitude test at the combine. But overall, I also think. Sorry, this is a long rant. I also think that we talk a lot about Belichick not being able to draft offensive talent. I think Craig and Ray said that the last time I was on. It might have been, I'll just blame Ray because he's not here. You can defend yourself, Craig, so I don't want to go after you. But the one position offensively that Belichick has hit on 80% of the time is running back, right? 2021, Ramondre Stevenson. I'd say... He, he did pretty well. He hit. Yep. 
Um, so we'll go 2019, Damian Harris. I'd say that that's a hit. Uh, 2018, Sony Michelle. Say what you want. He was a big factor in that uh, playoff run in 2018. Absolutely. I think we can call that, if not a hit, it's a wash, right? James White, 2014. That's a hit. Huge hit. Uh, 2013. I mean, I- I'm just going to go through it until 2001, so just bear with me. I want you to hear the names that are on this list. Uh, 2013, didn't draft a running back. 2012, no running backs. 2011, Shane Moraine, hit. Yeah, he did pretty well for a little while. It's amazing. He went to the Giants after the Patriots and just, whoop, gone. Uh, Steven Ridley, fumbled a lot, man, but had a thousand yard season. Yeah, I'd say he was a hit. So if you just think about all the people, we're only at 2009. So there, there are others that, that earlier in, in the 2000s that, that, that he missed on. But I think he's drafted 12 or sorry, 10 running backs. I'd say eight of them, seven of them are hits. That is a phenomenal track record. And it also shows you, uh, well, my last point of it, you never need to overpay a running back. Ever. It, it highlights my, your, if your best player is a running back, you will never win a Super Bowl uh, argument more than anything. Because again, they're, they're, I'm not saying that they're disposable, but they're kind of fucking disposable, right? If you get someone that fills your need and fits your scheme, they will do what you need them to do. James White, Kevin Qualk, Shane Marine. Yeah, none of these people are, are Hall of Famers. But they were all thousand yard rushers, at least, or they all had, you know, 35 catches for, you know, 400 yards uh, out of the backfield. Right. So I think we have never given him the credit that he deserves uh, in terms of uh, his draft history and draft record for running backs. And I'm here to tell you if there's one guy that you want drafting a running back because he'll never overpay for it when their contract is up and you always know that he can cycle him back in, it's Bill Belichick. Which, if we look at, and this is where we're going to cross from draft into free agency, which is why look at the length of every free agent that was signed this off season, four or five years. Cause how long is a rookie contract for a first round quarterback? Fourth or fifth, right? Fourth or the fifth. So Stevenson being a fourth round pick, I don't think carries that many years, but that doesn't mean he can't. And that doesn't mean that, you can't sell the team the way it's being constructed. Yep. So, Ramondre Stevenson was, and Craig and I have been high on him since week one of the preseason. I, I've just, I've loved the way the kid runs. He understands the game of football. He understands where the holes are and to go hit the hole. Very rarely do you see 38 for the Patriots go somewhere that he shouldn't go. It happens. I mean, it's going to happen. Cl- holes close. Guys get blocked into them fine it happens but this kid runs hard and he runs really well and he's fun to watch and he can catch passes out of the backfield if you absolutely need him to he's probably not going to like that's going to be the brandon bolden type of, oh. of guy which i listen say what you want about brandon bolden i will the the guy is he's been a a, a big special teams contributor for this team and he has stepped in where he is needed. He's not going to come in and be James White. He's not that level. And James White on many other teams might be like Shane Vereen. But Brandon Bolden's going to get the job done for you. So to go kind of cross the draft again, why did he draft Ramondre Stevenson and not a wide receiver? Because Bill Belichick doesn't draft well with wide receivers. He drafts defense. 
and he drafts running backs. And I mean, so far with quarterbacks, I mean, I would say that Brady was a hit. I mean, he's done all right. Mac Jones so far, again, we're 10 weeks in. And this is, this is another thing that we have to do is that we're 10 weeks in. This team is six and four. They haven't won a Super Bowl. They haven't won a playoff game. They haven't done anything since Tom Brady left. So let's give it more time. But where they sit right now, they need to keep this up and and continue to move forward. So looking at the the guys that they they brought in otherwise, I mean Ken, Kendrick Bourne, another guy that I've been saying you have to utilize Kendrick Bourne more. Well, I mean Bill Belichick knows what he's doing yep. because he's utilizing Kendrick Bourne more in the run game and in the passing game and that catch that he had for that touchdown, uh, which happened right in front of me in Gillette Stadium was it, it what it like it it was almost a catch of the season type of catch. It's a ballsy throw too. That's you know, like it's because he trusted his guy to go up and get it. But it, right, and that's another thing that has come with ten weeks of playing with each other now. Right, is ten weeks. Look at the touchdown throw he threw to Hunter Henry in the corner of the end zone. Rookie quarterbacks don't make that throw. Like, and I'm not saying that because this is Mac Jones and the New England Patriots. Rookie quarterbacks don't make that throw. They just don't. Yeah, that's a big boy throw. And he made a lot of big boy throws on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, he had the touchdown to uh, Hunter Henry in the Dallas game that he had to go up and, you know, basically caught at the apex. I mean, these Hunter Henry touchdowns have been incredible. I know, Mike, I wasn't going to bring it up. Just, just do it already. Just do but, it but already. But, but there's no reason. See, this is this is where I think you're like, you got to come at me. And it's like, I. It, we don't because sure you thought John Smith was going to be the better of the two tight ends. Oh, that's not it though. That's not it for context purposes because you're being nice. I get it's because you're a little boosted right now, but I said I would much rather have John New Smith. He's more durable. He's stronger. He's faster than Hunter Henry. That's six foot five, two hundred and nothing, made a glass tight end that will not do anything for you. I was wrong. We so love wrong. big lumbering tight ends here in, in New England, though. It's the Rob Gronkowski, Ben Coates. Like, give me a big I know. Lumbering tight end that can do a little bit of everything and make athletic plays. And you know what? We all said it. I mean, you were absolutely right about you were right about him. He was made of glass. But this year, you've been wrong. And that's okay. And it because you know, we mention it every week in our Discord. Every time the Patriots win, oh, we're one one win closer to Anthony Trish's, uh, uh you know, prediction for the Patriots for the season. Well, he said four to five wins. They now have sticks. I'll defend him on that. We did that interview before they even drafted Mac Jones. Sure, absolutely. And we had that conversation with him about who the quarterback was going to be, and I believe he said Cam Newton. And And at that point, here we go again. It was right. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're, we're going to get to him too. Uh, but great, just such a good win for the Patriots over the Browns. It's probably their best win of the season so far. They've played very good teams very well. They played Tampa well. The only game, the only two games they really did not play well were New Orleans and Houston, and they still won the Houston game. Miami, you should well, that well, long. Listen, well, now, now it yes. looks it looks a little better now because they beat the Ravens, right? But I mean, when Miami lost to the Jaguars, I was like that. And so, you know, Ray said it too. 
that is getting worse and worse every single, you know, two and two against really good teams so far. Uh, I, I won't say the Browns are really good, but you know, they were five and four coming in. They're above average. Yeah. I, I mean, I, they're building on something. A, a four game win streak is, you know, if we were to have this conversation after, you know, after six games when they're two and four, if I, if we were to look at, at their schedule and say, they're going to win four in a row. Not many people would have said, you know, I, I think they are. And in typical Patriot fashion, the season is opening up for them. Now, you know, we can talk a little bit about this, but like Derrick Henry, he's out. Not going to play for the Titans. Calvin Ridley and, uh, oh, oh my God. What Kyle is his? Pitts. No, I, I think he's going to play. Who is there? Who? Cordell Patterson. Cordell yeah, Patterson. Pat- Patterson. Of course, now he's a factor. Now he's out. Like, this is always what happened in, in the 2010 through 2014 era. Like, where we didn't win a Super Bowl, but we got to a, a couple. It, the season just opened up. So let's see what they can do and capitalize on it. Well, that, and that's the biggest thing here, right? Like, Thursday is almost a trap game against the Falcons because it's like, you can't go down there on a short week and lose. Now, granted, they got smoked by Dallas on Sunday, so they're not doing very well either. But following... Atlanta, you have four pretty tough games. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at a Tennessee team that is still winning football games. You have, so you have the Falcons. What I would just say about that is Belichick has always been able to beat Tannehill when he's their best weapon. He's always had a hard time beating a Tannehill team when there's a supplemental weapon. So if he knows that all he has to do is just really focus on making Tannehill make a mistake, I think we'll be okay because that Tennessee defense isn't what it was two or three years ago. I mean, there's a real chance that game is, you know, one of those 21-17, 21-18 games. And if that's the case, I like the Patriots' odds because, again, our defense is not stellar in any category besides points allowed. Which is, I mean, they're ranked right, right behind, uh, right behind the Bills. But they're again, as long as Bill Belichick is calling the place and has his hand on that defense, and Mac, he doesn't. You know, the thing is, he doesn't have to play like he did on Sunday every game. He no. really doesn't. If he does seventy-five percent of that, they'll win. Yeah, I mean, and it, with the defense and the way the defense is playing, and. You know, it's when I said that there's going to be a tough stretch for the Patriots afterwards or after the Falcons game, it it actually not only opens up in terms of kind of injuries for other teams, it also opens up in days between games. So the Patriots will play against the Falcons on Thursday night in week 11. Week 12, they're a Sunday afternoon game against the Titans at 1 o'clock. Then they don't play again until the following Monday night in Buffalo. Then it's their bye week. Then they're back for the the Colts on the road. And then Buffalo here. So they, they do have some tough opponents coming up. But in the Bills and the Colts, basically, I wouldn't call Atlanta, but knock on wood because any given Thursday, I guess. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, things open up, and you're right. Mac doesn't have to play out of his mind. And again, as you mentioned earlier, it's our closest and fairest comp. Tom Brady didn't throw for 350 yards, 300 yards every game in the 2001, 2003, and 2004 seasons. 
but they made it work. And I mean, you, you don't, if you have a good defense, if you have a, an able running game and you have a quarterback that can put the ball where it needs to be with receivers that can catch the football, which seems to be something that they've figured out, you can win games and win Super Bowls. Troy yes. Aikman did it. Why can't Mac Jones? Well, because he's a rookie. No rookie's ever won a Super Bowl before. But I, I, I do think... Doug Taylor. <laughs> I, I, I do think, you know, the talent that is, that is around Mac... I, I just I'm I'm really I'm just really impressed with it. I'm happy about it. There's been there's four big stories in the NFL coming out of week ten. Mike, pick a number one through four. Two. Number two. No, the number two story in the NFL, or at least well, I would say it's an NFL story, but also here in New England, was Cam Newton re-signing with his old team, the Carolina Panthers. He re-signs. It basically is said that PJ Walker is gonna be the starter. We all saw it. Craig sent it to us. And then Cam Newton basically starts and plays the whole game. He threw for a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown. He also got a 15-yard penalty on the rushing touchdown. And Twitter went nuts when he got this penalty. Uh, and they were like, I can't believe they gave him an excessive celebration penalty for taking on this helmet. Friends, family, loved ones. You cannot do that. It does not matter if your name is Cam Newton, Tom Brady, Colin Kaepernick, Michael Bick, it doesn't matter what your name is or what, you know, any, it's a penalty. It's a 15-yard penalty. It gets called all the time. And I think Cam knew what he was getting into. So besides the point, what do you think of Cameron Newton resigning with his old team uh, and, and helping them win, win a game this weekend? I mean, he's a guy that has... Uh, like enough talent to be on an NFL roster. Like he should be. And the things that kept him off of it, it looks like he, you know, he did what he needed to do. So good for him. I loved uh, that everyone knew on that first touchdown that he scored that he was going to run it. They couldn't stop it. They just could not stop it. I think, I, I think he's a good story. And I think he does a lot for a locker room. I think he loves Carolina. I think he loves the city of Charlotte. And so whatever... I, I hope that he's really successful. Absolutely. I will say, though, I'm a big P.J. Walker fan, big XFL guy, and he was the MVP of that league before it got cut short. And despite the fact that Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey are, are obviously the stories of, of that game, P.J. Walker, 22 of 29, 167 yards. Pretty good. And they beat, they beat, they beat a pretty good team, too. I mean, a, well, depleted, a depleted team. But they beat a team that should be pretty good. I mean, they beat Colt McCoy without DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, James, listen, as long as James Conner is running well for my fantasy team, I don't really care what's going on there in Arizona. So just real quick to to go back to the Cam Newton part. And it, I, I echo your sentiment about Cam Newton. I hope he does well there. Uh, wouldn't it be funny if he led that team to the playoffs or helped lead that team to the playoffs? That would just be funny. But also what's funny to me, Mike, is that not only P.J. Walker, but the fact that the Carolina Panthers moved on from Cam Newton. They thought they had their next guy in uh, who, who was that? No, it was Allen. And then they signed Bridgewater. Was the Allen kid they thought could have, and then they said, We're bringing in Bridgewater. They brought in Bridgewater. That didn't work out. They shipped him off to Denver. 
are paying seven and a half, seven and a half million dollars of his salary. They trade for Sam Darnold, who's on his rookie contract still. So he's only getting paid like $900,000. Then they go on and sign PJ Walker, who's also only making $900,000. And then they say, well, let's go sign Cam Newton for four and a half million. So really they spent a lot of money to mismanage their quarterback position. And I find that absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the opposite of, of what we were talking about for the Patriots, right? Like, running backs are disposable. Quarterbacks are not. You have to hit on it. You have to be really sure about it, or else you're going to be in a situation where you're paying $14 million right now for for uh, for a quarterback, one of which isn't even on the team. Like you said, $7 million for Bridgewater to go and get hurt or, or lead Denver to a win or, or a loss against the Eagles. I mean, it's a fireable offense to miss that often. I, I was surprised by Sam Darnold at the beginning of the season. No, he came back down to earth real quick. Yeah, I think that's his peak. I think that was, you saw him at his peak, and I don't think that his peak is sustainable. So your next number is three, huh? Three. The number three is Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing to the Washington football team 29-19 to and Tom Brady throwing two interceptions in the first quarter, and it was it that story and that game had Gillette Stadium all a Twitter because it they everyone wanted to talk about how Mac was playing well and Brady was throwing picks and losing to Washington uh, and lost to a Washington team that did not have Chase Young in the second half and he's torn his ACL which is awful for him and for the NFL because he's just a transcendent player but Brady Brady and the Bucks fall to six and four losing to washington that division is wide open too for cam newton and the carolina Panthers. that's right yeah I, I i mean here's the thing like we all remember last year again remember the buccaneers were seven and five before they went on their run now a lot of things went well their defense stood up and their defense is terrible this year they brought back every single starter from the super bowl and they're just terrible right but you know like th- this game I, I think it's easy to paint the narrative like Brady blew it. Yeah, and sure, he did. I, I Sure. But he's always had those teams that he just doesn't do well against. And if you really look at it, before they changed their name, Washington was never a good team for Brady to go against, even at, when he was a Patriot. When, when they won, there was one, uh, I think one win in the 2007 season when they blew them out. But when you go back uh, in, in, uh, in maybe 2011, like they're close. 2004, they're close. So like, in the, and Brady always played, you know, like a mortal in, in Miami. So like that happens. Every quarterback has a team that they have a hard time against. I think in, in this case, if Brady does not play the way that we all expect him to play, <laughs> Tampa Bay does not have the coach to elevate them. We said this last year. We, that was my first blog ever when we, uh, when we had a podcast. It is saying like, he was great, but everyone else around him was also coached great. So they knew where to be. Arians gets exposed for what he is as a coach in games like this because everybody's freelancing, man. Everybody. Nobody has any direction. It's really hard to get them to do what you want them to do or what you think they're supposed to do. And that might be the downfall of this team. 
I will also say though, I, I do expect I do expect the Bucks to still win twelve games. Absolutely. And they're gonna win twelve games. They're gonna be in the playoffs because they do have the team. Now Grand, they have no Gronkowski and they have no Antonio Brown right now, which kind of rounds out that wide receiving core or the the you know, the weapons for Tom. And then the defense has just been bad, but that doesn't mean that they can't. I mean, there's a lot of season left. You got to remember, we're in week 10 of 18. I mean, there's a lot of season left here. Uh, Teams still have seven games to play, eight in some cases, uh, who have already had a bye week. So, yeah, they'll, they'll have 12 games, but it was very interesting to see that they lost. And what was really ballsy uh, is that Riverboat Ron uh, went out and with nine minutes left in the game and only up four points, he goes for it on fourth down and scores a touchdown, knowing full well, I either got to score and put this game out of reach or I'm giving the ball back to Tom Brady with eight minutes only down four. And it, and it's a, it was a button that if it fails, he looks like a dummy, but it didn't, and he looks like a genius. And it was a very well-coached game from Washington, and they played well, and they did what they needed to do to get it done. Yeah, I think Riverboat Ron bites himself more often than it actually works for him. <laughs> but you, you got to love the fact that, at least in this situation, it feels like, you know, he can rally that team. I don't know, like, I don't know what it is. Because if you look at, like, you know, you never look back at him and say, like, he's a great motivator. Like, he's not like a Mike Tomlin. You know, Mike Tomlin can actually motivate an entire team to do whatever they need to do. Say what you want about him as a coach. I often do. He's a great motivator. I think Ron Rivera, like this is the perfect team for him. Like they're just gutsy, right? And th- they're not conventional. They they don't have five, you know, stars in that team. They have like, they have two. They have Chase, uh, Chase Young and Terry McLaurin. And like that, that literally is it. Uh, but Taylor Heineke, 26 of 32, 256 and, and a touchdown. That's impressive. And we saw flashes of that in their division or in the wild card game last year. That kid is fearless. Yeah, he can manage games and he can make the throws that need to be made. He's not great, but dare I say he's better than Sam Darnold. Yeah, he's sustainable. He's sustainable. That, that's a good word for it. He's sustainable. And you know, when Fitzpatrick went down last year in the playoffs and Again, this year, he stepped in and does his job. And I think Riverboat Ron, I, I think Ron Rivera is a, is a motivator. I think I think he has a different approach. But I think he does. And I mean, anybody that um, is diagnosed with cancer and then still coaches throughout all the treatments during a COVID season, I mean, I, I would go and run through walls for that guy right now. Yep. You know, the, he's, I think that's just the type of guy he's, that he's tough as nails. And I think his players are like, all right, man, this guy's got our back. We're, we're going to get his kind of thing. All right, you got two choices left. Yeah, I'm going to go with four. Uh, we're going to go with four. All right, so the uh, fourth one. Oh, crap, I forgot what it was again. So we had the, oh, the fourth one was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Leah's Pittsburgh Steelers. If you don't know who Leah is, that's Dave Clark's fiance. Uh, tying. With the Detroit Lions 16-16 this week, which erases any possibility of a Lions 0-17 season. And it puts the the Steelers at 5-3-1 and in uh, overall and second in the division behind Baltimore, I believe, still. Uh, because Cincinnati and Cleveland have kind of fallen off. Surprise, surprise in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, but a, a tie in the NFL, which have 
they've become common in the last 10 to 15 years. Of course, Najee Harris, the rookie running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, had no idea that you could tie in the NFL, which, again, Donovan McNabb did the same thing. It's like, how do you guys not know the rules of the game that you play? Like, well, I mean, it is stupid. I mean, it is it is ridiculous. Why? Like, settle, settle it in 60 minutes, and if you can't settle it in 60 minutes, here's 10 more. Figure it out, or you don't. I, listen, you're, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this game. I couldn't care any less about either of the teams. Uh, neither team wanted to win, and that was evident based off of the uh, of overtime. Like it was that was that was like watching the XFL back in two thousand and one. It was a terrible football product. So yeah, would I have loved for the Steelers to lose? Sure, because I hate them. I absolutely hate the Steelers. Sorry, Leah. Nothing personal. And, you know, that's really it. I don't have a horse in that race, so great. They tied. I hope both teams tie every game for the rest of the season. And then we'll change the rules because there's too many ties. That's how this works. So the number one story in football, the one you didn't pick, was Odell Beckham Jr. leaving the Cleveland Browns and becoming a free agent last week. They originally put him, they, they released him, put him on waivers. Any team that picked him up would have had to pay seven and a half million dollars of his remaining salary and of course the reason why they did that that was part of the bargaining deal with odell to say hey we're gonna put you on nobody's gonna take you you're gonna clear waivers you can go play wherever you want the report initially and then late was that he was going to sign with new england because he has a good relationship with bill belichick following more discussion and time after the, he cleared waivers it became evident that he was going to sign with Green Bay, Kansas City, or the Los Angeles Rams. Or the Saints. You're thinking of. I'm sorry, the Saints. And then the Rams came out of the woodwork a little bit, you know, and then it was everybody talked about why it would be good that he would go to uh, Green Bay. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like that locker room could explode at any point. Uh, New Orleans doesn't seem like a very stable situation, and he wants a quarterback that's going to throw to him. Yes. So. He signed with what has been dubbed by others, not by me, not by Mike, not by Craig, dubbed a possible super team because of the guys they've gone out and traded for and signed and brought in. So Beckham does that. He signs there on Friday after saying, or Thursday after saying that he was going to wait until after the Sunday games were over, which was a crock. He went and signed with uh, the Rams and then suited up and played in the Monday night football game uh, against the, who the heck did they play last night? The San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco 49ers. That's right. Because that it was actually a fun game to watch. And of course, clearly, a bit based on your recollection of it, it sounds like it was. He's got the haze going on. I got, I got the haze, the boosted haze. Right. <laughs> the, the, the Rams go out and essentially lay an egg is Matt Stafford with Odell Beckham Jr. now is one of his wide receivers. He did have two catches for 18 yards. Uh, but Matt Stafford throws two first-quarter picks that result in touchdowns, one that was a pick six, both by the same guy, and the 49ers win 31-10. I guess the question is, Mike, did the did Odell Beckham Jr. not signing with New England, was that a good decision for both parties? And... Two, is he going to wreck that Rams 
No, 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 stop. He's not going to wreck that team. That team has, I mean, if you really think about the players that have come to that locker room since uh, McVay has been there, they've had some characters. I mean, they've had Nadama Kitsu, Aaron Donald, Akeem Tlaib, Jalen Ramsey, and they all made deep playoff runs. So I think that he's, I think the McVay can, he can hold the room. I'm not worried about that. My, my problem with this, uh, with the Odell Beckham thing is not recognizing the fact that he's a transformational talent. Now, sure, I get it. You don't like him. You think he might be a head case or, or a locker room pariah. Well, he is a head case. What, whatever it might be. He is a transformational talent. And if you have a chance to get him on the cheap after waivers, you know, maybe you make an offer. I think for a, a team with a strong head coach, a strong foundation, he can't hurt you. He really can't. Uh, and as long as you have, and as long as you have that now in New England, would he, would there have been this pressure for Mac to throw to him more? I think that may have been more public than internal uh, because I, I I just don't think that Bill would have gone that way. I, I think Bill is the man that decides what happens on the field and you either get in line or you don't. You know, uh, Randy Moss, just remember, two years after driving into a traffic cop in a parking lot and being forgotten about in Oakland, he was here breaking Jerry Rice's all-time touchdown record for a single season. So, it shows you what you can do if you have a a strong head coach, and then also in that instance, you know the greatest quarterback of all time. But who's to say? Who's to say that Beckham is the same receiver as Randy Moss? He's not. I think comparing Randy Moss to Odell Beckham Jr. is a it, it is no, no, not traits wise on the field. I'm saying, but if you talk about their off the field up to this point, that's how they were. I mean. That's how Randy Moss was labeled. He was shipped to Oakland because he was labeled as a pariah in the locker room, all thanks to Chris Carter uh, in Minnesota, right? That's what happened. And then he was able to, you know, for three years here, rejuvenate his career and do what he needed to do. I'm not saying, you know, on the field stats that, that they're comparable. It just, it feels to me like Odell Beckham, you know, he wants to be, he wants to be the reason that a team wins. And I don't know why we hold that against him because we, we, we in reality, that's what you should want. Now it, it sounds, it, it, he oftentimes comes off as he wants to be the only reason that they win, which I get could be, you know, kind of annoying, but I mean, that's every quarterback in the league and every quarterback in the league wants to be the reason their team wins. Well, but that's because the, the quarterback, a lot of the times is the reason. The team wins because that's the way the game is played. Let me ask you a question. Another rabbit hole. You think, yeah, I mean, do you honestly think that Joe Montana or Steve Young are great quarterbacks without Jerry Rice? I know. No, I don't. But I also think that Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice was a, and again, I'm not comparing the two. Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver of all time. Sure. But Jerry Rice is a lot like a Julian Edelman. I mean, he came out of, out of a division two school. He was slow, slow for the position. Uh, he had football quickness. He wasn't fast. He was quick. 
like an Edelman, right? And he had good hands and he made a career of that. Do Joe Montana and Steve Young have the success without him? Absolutely not. Does Troy Aikman have the success without Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin? No. But those two teams also don't have the success without the defense. So, but I think my overall point is though is that uh, Jerry Rice had that innate thing in him that he wanted to be the reason why the team won. He wanted to be yeah, the best. But he wasn't an asshole field. about it. Sure. And, and that, but that's a big thing that comes into the game now is that these guys we've seen so many times, Mike, that the guys that keep their mouths shut or learn to keep their mouths shut figure out a way to be the best. They figure out a way to be great. You didn't see it. Let's bring Jacoby Myers back into this conversation, because if you want to call him a number one, Odell Beckham is the number one in the NFL. Let's talk about these two. If you want to talk about Jacoby Myers being a number one receiver, you didn't see him for the last two seasons or in 2019 saying, Hey man, I'm the guy, throw me the ball in the end zone. Yeah. You didn't see him doing that this year when Hunter Henry was scoring seven touchdowns, but Odell Beckham Jr. goes out. And because Baker Mayfield's not throwing to him, daddy's got to make a Twitter video and put it out. I mean, the, the guy is 29 years old. Again, I mean, let's not, we, 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 why, why are we holding the sins of the father against him? Because he put it out into the, the, the universe. Odell Beckham did or his dad did? His dad did, but who's to say that he wasn't a part of that? I am because apparently you're, you're to say that he was. So I have to be the opposite of So, but here, I, I'm going to say this due to his, his Terrell Owens was a was a class one asshole, but when that man broke his leg, he played in the Super Bowl. It was almost the reason you think why Odell Beckham won. Jr. would have done the same thing. I I, I don't. He's never been given the op- opportunity to do it. No, but Terrell Owens, while he was a a showboat, well, I'm sure, he, I don't care. Was, but he was you care about that thing. But but let, let, I'm going to make a distinction now because that's what we're doing. He was an ass. He wasn't an asshole. Odell Beckham Jr. is an asshole. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure Jerry Rice would consider Charles Owens an asshole. So would Jeff Garcia, Donovan McNabb, Tony Romo. The only only person that wouldn't would be uh, Ocho Cinco when they were at Cincinnati. Jeff Garcia doesn't have a say. But (laughs) besides the point, Odell Beckham Jr., while you say he's a transcendent talent. Transformational talent. Transformational talent. What, what What does that mean to you? I mean, if... If we were to say that the Patriots wide receiver room right now out of a 10, based on what they have, not tight ends, wide receiver core is, is rated like a six. Odell Beckham Jr. on that team makes them an eight and a half just per, by being there. He makes everybody's life easier just by being on the field. Does he make everybody's life easier? Yeah. By being on the field, if he goes out and he has... uh his, his career high in receptions is 101. He had 91 in his rookie season, 96 in his, in his second year, and 101 in his third year. Since then, his highest is 77 in 2018, his last year with the Giants. Granted, in 2017, he was injured. Uh, in 2020, he only played half the season, and this year, he's only played in seven games. So, he may make them an eight and a half on the field, but with a and I know that he's signed, so we're, this is literally all speculation. But with his attitude and the way he essentially shot his way out of Cleveland, if you put him on this team, do, does he not 
ruin what we just talked about for the first half of this show? Does he not affect that chemistry and that style? Do you walking in the room, basically thinking, thinking whether it's known or not thinking I'm the best guy in this room. This rookie quarterback is going to throw to me. Now, regardless of what Bill Belichick says and does, that's superseding what Bill Belichick is doing. Let me ask, let, let me just ask you a quick question. Uh, his first three seasons in the league, what were the years? 14, 15, 16. Who was the coach of the Giants? What is it, Coughlin still? Yeah, that's how you know. He, when, when he has that guy, and listen, Eli Manning is not a whole, oh, he might be a whole thing. I'm not well, going to get into that. He had won two Super Bowls at that point. So sure. when you, you put him on a team, Baker Mayfield has done nothing in the NFL for all intents and purposes. Yep. Neither has Mac Jones. So Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford technically hasn't either. Coach, when you, what I know based off of historical evidence uh, to, to, to date, when he has a strong head coach and a quarterback that is a pass first quarterback, let's just say that, I, I think he'll be fine. I, I don't think he's going to be a deterrent. I, now, again, as we talked about on this show, I'm wrong a lot. I could be wrong about this. Well, but that's the thing is you're never going to get an opportunity to be wrong about this because he's never going to. He's never going to be on this team. Well, we'll figure out if he poisons the Rams or not. Like that will be evident because as, as good of a, a as a locker room leader and a guy that can hold the room as McVeigh is, you know that team will let us know through the media or through you know you know social media, whatever, when it all fell apart. And if there's a if there's a lie that you can draw that says, hey, you know they were like seven or they were six and two when he got here, and after he got here they went, you know. Two and seven. That's a pretty clear indicator that he was poisonous. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I, I just think I I think it was strange that they signed him in the first place because they have a good thing going there. They have an above average tight end and Tyler Higby. They have Cooper Cup. They have a number one receiver already. So not and I'm not saying that you can't bring in a one and have a one and one A or one A, one B. That that's fine. I mean it it happens. It's happened before and that's okay. But I can see a similar thing happening in L.A. that happened in Cleveland where, well, I'm not getting my targets. He keeps throwing to, to Higby or Cup. So that's where McVeigh needs to nip it in the bud and, and say, listen, you're coming in to, to do this. We have these guys already. You are a role player. You are Odell Beckham Jr. You're very, yes, on the surface, on the whole, uh, he is a very good receiver. I don't think he's elite. I just don't. I never thought he was. Because when you talk about that Giants team, it's so interesting you mentioned that because two two things that they had were the coach and the quarterback. The Patriots have the coach. I think the Rams have the coach and the quarterback. You and I have always been pretty high on Stafford. I, I Stafford's tough as nails, man. That guy, yeah. if Mac Jones is half as tough, as Matt Stafford in his career, we've already, I mean, we've already won that, uh, checkbox, but that's the thing that, that Odell had in New York was that he was drafted to be the guy and he was drafted by a hall of fame coach that had a two time Super Bowl winning quarterback. And it was, Hey, this is what we're going to do. So now He's come out of that and said, hey, look at what I did. I need to be able to do that again. But he hasn't done anything since he left the Giants. He hasn't done anything since he left there. So he, he has lost that. He has lost that ability to say, I'm the guy. Give me the ball. And that's what he did in Cleveland. And he wasn't the guy. 
I think I, I would just say, like, as my final point on this is, I think wide receivers often catch a, a lot of flack um, for being boisterous about uh, about wanting to be the reason and watching their targets and watching the ball, right? And I think some of it's fair, some of it's unfair. I think if you're a professional football player and you, you're not advocating uh, for the ball all the time uh, as a receiver, then like maybe some people would actually question why you're there. Like if you don't want to be there to be the best, why the hell are you there in the first place, right? I think no. I, I think also a lot of o, o, uh, Odell Beckham's uh, misfortunes do fall upon the quarterback. Now, I'm, I'm not saying he's blameless, but when you have a guy like uh, Eli Manning who isn't afraid to spray the ball anywhere, anywhere, right? He will not be manipulated to only throw to Odell, right? It won't happen. Odell will do well. When you have someone like a Baker Mayfield or Daniel Jones, I don't think he ever played with him, but uh, you know, or, or just, we'll just say a Baker Mayfield who feels like, oh, I have this new shiny toy. I'm just going to feed him the entire time. Then like, yeah, it's going to fall apart because you can't be one dimensional. What I would say to you though, is if you look back at Matthew Stafford's time with the Detroit Lions, when they had a number one receiver, like a, a Calvin Johnson, if you look at their number two, yeah, it was a drop-off, right? But it, it wasn't that big. The drop-off is for the third because Matthew Stafford will throw anywhere, anytime. If you give him a slight opening or even not, he'll, he'll try and throw somebody open. And I think that right now for the Rams, they're in this really unique, uh, th- this unique circumstance where they have a really strong-minded head coach who can hold a room. They have a quarterback who is fearless when he throws, and he knows what it's like to work with someone who demands the spotlight as a wide receiver. Now, Calvin Johnson was not an asshole off the field that we know of, right? We don't know that, but what we do know is what he was on the field. He demanded the ball, and he got it. Well, he's 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 one of the greatest receivers of all time. Sure. Odell Beckham Jr. is not that. Well, Odell Beckham Jr., if he had a quarterback like Matt Stafford, as we've seen based off of his first three years in, in New York, would have been too. Well, the Cleveland Browns should have done a better job at that and should have gotten somebody other than Baker Mayfield. Agreed. Maybe, maybe a Mac Jones type. But, Mike, I know we've gone uh, on a long time here and we're not going to get to everything we necessarily want to get to tonight. But I do know that you had some comments on the Boston Celtics that I do want to mix in to try and get to that uh, audience as well. Yeah, let's, I mean, it's not going to be long. It's just an extension of my, uh, of my, I'm a Jalen Brown fan over a Jason Tatum fan. And here's why after, after a, uh, another, uh, a win against the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, last night, Jason Tatum, who again, shot terribly, Big surprise to that all year long as their number one, as their number one, uh, you know, uh, person on the team, their leader. He, th- this guy just tries to shoot his way out of anything. Do you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a stat here. There are 36 people in the league this year that have attempted more than 200 field goals. Jason Tatum's shooting percentage or field goal percentage. He's 35th. He is the, the second worst shooter based on volume in the league this year. His field goal percentage is 38%. His three-point percentage is 31%. Oh, and now this guy, my biggest complaint against him, all he does is try to drive to the basket to go to the line. He's shooting 76% for free throws. 
It's time. I'm sorry. He's not the guy. Now, he might be the guy somewhere else. I promise. I told you this two weeks ago. If if whoever leaves between him and Jalen Brown, they're going to be an elite NBA player for a long time, and they might win a championship. You're just going to have to suck on that, Celtics fans. And what I'm telling you is you want to get him out of here because Jalen Brown is a guy that you can build a team around. He's gritty. He's selfless. He will pass first instead of shoot first. And in the post-game press conference last night, they won. And Tatum's, yeah, you know, wasn't my greatest shooting night. But, you know, I'm, I, have, I have confidence in myself. Whether I'm 7 for 30 or if I'm scoring 50 or 60, I can just shoot my, shoot, shoot my way out of this. Fuck off. Don't shoot your way out of it. Pass the ball. Make other people better. Because, uh, again, Ray said it uh, two weeks ago, and he's right. They're still playing two on five. And they're not going to win a championship doing that. So my answer to that or my remedy to that situation is to remove Jason Tatum. And I promise it might set you back. It might set you back for a year or two. And he's going to be a great player. He's never going to win a championship here. He will never hoist that trophy as a Boston Celtic. I will only add, I will not rebut because I agree. Kyrie Irving was a negative influence on Jason Tatum. Thank you for joining us for Missing the Point. My name's Joe Malgan. He's Mike Marcangelo. We got Craig. Craig's doing stuff. He's spinning the tables and making us sound good. Uh, Exactly. That's it. So thank you again for joining us for another episode of MTP. We'll talk to you next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.